Book 3, Chapter 9. We've been on and off this last month. But uh, thank God I still remember which chapter we're up to. <laughs> the question at the heart of our discussions the last couple of weeks is, um, is it possible to have relationship when there's dirt in the way? When the elephant is still in the room, is it possible to have a true relationship? Last time we met, I told the story of the kishka, the intestine, right? The, sh- the king's chef who wanted to know how to make the kishka, and he got the instructions from the woman, exactly how to make it, and in the end when he tried to make it, it just stunk up the whole palace. And when he tried to figure out why, he told, he told the woman that he had followed the recipe exactly, but he didn't clean it out before he stuffed it. Before you stuff the kishka, you have to clean it. So essentially the Tanya's position is that of course the dirt has to be cleared away before you could engage in a meaningful relationship. In other places in Hasidus, there's a bunch of metaphors that they employ for this. One time it says, um, you can't plant, you can't plant a field without first clearing away the stones. Nothing will grow. If you leave the stones there, nothing's gonna grow when you put in the seeds. Other times, the metaphor is from a house. You can't build a house until you clear the lot from all the stuff that are in the way. Today we know this even psychologically. You can't, you can't um, grow in yourself unless you work through previous trauma that you may have experienced. There, there always has to be a process of removal before you can engage in the positive, meaningful, next step relationships. And when we talk about tshuva, which is the subject of the third book of the Tanya, it's the letter on tshuva. And it's, you can't make this stuff up. We're, we're a week before Rosh Hashanah and we're talking about tshuva. I think it's incredible. Tshuva is like the quintessential repairing of relationship. You're talking about a human being who was created in God's image with a noble, pure, holy soul. Everything about us was godly. And because we live in a material, crass world, and our upbringings are not always uh, conducive to living holy lives, we end up compromising our soul, dirtying it, if you will. Sometimes the Tanya uses the word abuse. We abuse our souls. We put it through soul abuse. And, uh, and we're trying to correct it. We're trying to course correct. We're trying to reset. So when we engage in that process, the Alter Rebbe says there's two steps to the tshuva. He calls it the lower tshuva and the higher tshuva. The lower tshuva is like removing the stones. Getting all the stuff that need to be out of the way, getting them out of the way. The higher tshuva is uh, what the Alter Rebbe calls restoring the relationship to pre-sin times. Just the way you were before you fell, just, the, just that wholesome 
incredible relationship that was there to restore that. That's the higher tshuva. But to do the higher tshuva, you can't jump to the higher tshuva. There's an order. It's like you can't jump from the bottom to the top floor of a building. One of the great uh, Hasidic masters of the last generation of Yoel Khan, he passed away last summer. I spoke about him when he passed. He was like a foremost thinker, a leader on Hasidic thought. He would always say, you could have self-sacrifice to jump off a building. But no matter how much self-sacrifice you have, you can't jump onto a building. That doesn't work. You could, you could declare, I'm having misir, I'm giving up my life, but you, you can't jump. You have to, to climb up a building, you have to climb. There's steps. So with tshuva, it's the same thing. You could say, I want to be back in relationship with God. You can say, I want to have that great ecstasy that I once had before I fell. But to get there, there's, there's an order. So these last couple of chapters of book three, the Alter Rebbe discusses that ladder, climbing that ladder. Chapter seven, which was two times ago we met, we discussed the first steps of the ladder, which is just acknowledging what you've put your soul through, arousing mercy on the soul, and then hoping that God in turn arouses his mercy for you. And then we move to the higher tshuva, the second step, which is interlocking your soul with God once again. And uh, in chapter 9, it's very cryptic, this chapter, if you read it inside. The Alter Ebbe kind of drops a bunch of concepts related to this higher tshuva. What does it actually mean to be in... in um, to be in re-relationship with God. What, what does that look like? The tagline that the Alter Rebbe gives is, it's the mother resting on her chicks. It's a quote, Kabbalistic quote. Comes from the Torah, actually, from last week's portion, two weeks ago's portion. When you have a mother bird that's resting on the eggs, you have to send it away before you take the eggs. But it has a Kabbalistic meaning. That's the code, sorry, the code for the higher tshuva is the mother resting on the chicks. And then he, I'll explain that in a second. Then he says what it means is to align every part of the human psyche with the godly psyche. We've talked numerous times in, these, in this series about how according to Kabbalah, there's a supernal man. Just like there's a human form, a human image, there's a supernal realm where we talk about godly intellect, godly emotions, godly attributes. So essentially the higher tshuva is to be fully aligned in your psyche with the godly psyche. The Alter Rebbe goes in detail. He says, your intellectual powers, your academic powers, your powers of understanding should be fully consumed with Torah. Your power to feel, your emotive powers should be reflective of godly emotions. The, the Talmud talks about um, how we should be merciful, we should be compassionate because God is compassionate. We should visit the sick because God visits the sick. We should, uh, a whole bunch of things that the Talmud says, just like God does it, you should do it too. Now, of course, some of these things are very basically human. Why do we need God for it? And the answer is because a morality without godliness will eventually erode. And we see this today better than any other time. 
if the only reason you don't murder is because you, it's right in your head not to murder, then one day it'll be right to murder somebody. If the only reason you visit the sick is because you decided that it's good to visit the sick, then one day other sick you won't visit. Or you'll, you know that joke about the guy who uh, was shopping for salmon and he, he came across a particularly moldy piece of salmon and he decided to buy it. He bought it, he brings it home. His wife says, what are you doing with a moldy piece of salmon? He says, don't worry. This is going to come to great use. The next day, the town schnorrer, who always came to bother him on Fridays, knocks on the door. <laughs> and knocks on the door. He says, please, I need something for Shabbos. Give me some food. The guy says, sure, I'll be back in a minute. Brings the moldy salmon out, gives it to the guy. The guy couldn't see because he was covered up. He says, thank you very much. Goes home. Of course, he eats the salmon, and he gets sick. And on Sunday, the husband tells his wife, Honey, I'm going to do a mitzvah. I'm going to visit the sick. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes, and he goes to visit the guy. And then, that night, the guy dies. So the next morning, Monday, he says, Honey, I'm going to do another mitzvah. I'm burying the dead. (laughs) And he goes, and he buries the guy. And the next day, he's visiting the family. And he comes back home the next Shabbos and says, You see, sweetheart, from one piece of moldy salmon, I got four mitzvahs. I got, I treated my guests, I visited the sick, I buried the dead. So, morality has to be God-based. So, at any rate, the, emotion, the emotive attributes have to be godly. And then he keeps going. The thought should be occupied with Torah speech should be occupied with prayer and, with, and, with, and with, um, with learning. And your actions should also be all oriented towards God. He chooses, the Alter Rebbe chooses giving tzedakah. Every time that the Alter Rebbe has a chance to stick in tzedakah, he sticks it in. So whenever we're talking about mitzvahs, his prime example of a mitzvah is tzedakah. So you give tzedakah. The point is, every part of yourself as a human, which is all human, the power to understand is human, the power to think is human, the power to speak is human, the power to do... All these things are human, but we can, we can, um, we can elevate them. We, we, we make them holy. We make them godly. That, to live in that space, is to live in the space of higher tshuva. It's the full restoration of, uh, of where your soul was, essentially, before it came to the place that it required tshuva to get it out of there. And the key... The key is that all of this has to be inspired by love. Hmm. There are typically in our lives two motivators. Two things get us motivated to do things. They're called in the Zohar love and fear. We could call it um, a closeness or a distance. Sometimes it's a feeling of closeness to somebody that will get you to do what they want. You want to do what they want because you want to be in relationship. And then other times, it's the fear. The cop chasing you down the road. You're not going to do any traffic violations. You don't love the cop. You actually fear the ticket. If we wanted to get a little more philosophical, we would call them positive and negative energies. There's positive motivators and negative motivators. To live a godly life, many, many people, for many, many generations, were motivated by fear. If I don't do this, I'm going, to get, I'm going to burn in Gehenna. If I don't do that, I'm going to get struck down by lightning. If I do this, I'm going to... And it was a motivator. It worked. It worked for some time. 
But in the end, it's not, uh, it's not deep. It's very, it's very external. It's not sustainable either. People don't buy it, especially the youth. Today, the youth don't buy it. They want a relationship of closeness, a loving relationship, a meaningful relationship. So the Alter Rebbe says, you could align every part of yourself with godliness, but if it's out of fear, if it's a negative motivator, you haven't reached the pinnacle of where you have to reach. It has to be a positive motivator. It has to be a love motivator. And then it will be the mother resting on the chicks. What does that mean, the mother resting on the chicks? The Talmud, when it describes tshuva, in one of the places, the Talmud says, tshuva has to be be'oto perek, be'ota isha, be'ota makom. In the same circumstance, the same woman, the same place. Typically, I guess, the metaphor for sin is illicit relationships. So how do you know if you've done tshuva properly? If you meet the same woman in the same place under the same circumstances and you don't, buy it, and you don't do the avera, that's tshuva. So long as you haven't recreated the very situation which prompted you to sin, it's not a complete tshuva because maybe had you been in the other place, you would have gone ahead with it. Had it been the same woman, you would have, gone, have you been the same passion, etc., etc. So you have to recreate the moment and if you hold yourself back, that's tshuva. So Hasidah says, it doesn't just mean physically recreating the moment. It also means spiritually. Tshuva has to reach the very same part of your psyche as it was when you compromised. That's when you know that uh, the tshuva is complete. So let's say a person fell through a number of times. He lived a certain lifestyle. And then he decides to change radically and come back. So in a way, the argument could be made, okay, he left his previous life behind. He adopted a whole new set of values, morals, ethics, and a way of life. And uh, that's it. He left the past behind. In a way, the Alter Rebbe says in this chapter, it's not a complete higher tshuva. Because you haven't gone back to the very experience, to the very place where you were that prompted you to, to violate God's will, till you go back and revisit that, the tshuva is not complete. That's the mother resting on the chicks. It's, it's an expression for, the mother is an expression for the intellectual powers. The chicks are, are representative of the emotive powers. Until the intellect and the heart meet, until you come back to that space, the tshuva is not complete. And again, not that the Tanya needs our scientific support, but today we see this in the field of psychology and mental health. Every therapist will tell you, until you revisit the trauma, until you go back to the space where you were, you know, kids in elevators, they get stuck in the elevator, you have to go back to the elevator. And if somebody was, as a child, you had to go back there. Until you go back, the full repair will never take place. When you go back, then you have the most wholesome experience. So tshuva ila'a, the higher tshuva, is realigning yourself completely out of love, out of closeness, so that you can reach back to exactly where you were. Because we sin, 
<laughs> Nobody sins out of fear. Everybody sins out of love. Nobody sins out of distance. We sin out of a closeness. Consciously or unconsciously. Some people, we, we, go, we do sins totally unaware that they, that they were sins. But nevertheless, the acts that we commit are done out of a, out of a space of closeness. What if you don't remember those acts? Oh. They don't count. There's a doctor for that. They're doing treatment. <laughs> or you didn't know. Yeah, what if you didn't know? Psychologists will tell you that's the deepest type of trauma, right? The one that you can't even remember, it's so in your psyche. But if you look this Yom Kippur, if you look in the, in the prayer book, in the Machzor, you'll see that there is a paragraph that says, um, may Hashem forgive us for the sins that we committed knowingly and unknowingly. Right? Yodim uvelo yodim. In fact, in temple times, when the Kohen Gadol went into the Holy of Holies, he went in five times on Yom Kippur. One of the times was specifically dedicated to atoning for sins that were done unknowingly. And it has a very mystical significance of why that was done in the Holy of Holies. Because the Holy of Holies is the place where nobody knew. Nobody knew. No Jew knew what was in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Because no Jew was in there. So the, 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 the not knowledge matched very well the power to repair that which was done without knowledge. It, it, it represents reaching to the deepest recesses of the soul also. It's called the Yechida. So if you don't know that you did a sin, actively you don't need to, you don't need to do Teshuvah because you don't know. But Yom Kippur does that. It, it reaches that part of your soul and, and, and whitens it. So it takes care of it. Yes. Yes. The holiest man, the holiest day, the holiest place. And I'm no, it, pretty sure he's pretty good. But just in case. Just in case, listen. The, the, the first one, it says, it, the text says it was him and his household. First time it was him and his household. Second time it was him and the, all the Kohanim. Third time was him and all of Israel. So that third time, it encompassed also the ones that, he, that, that they didn't know about. So that's the, that's the, that's the spiel. On Shuvah Ilah, the higher Shuva. And with this thesis, the Alter Rebbe explains a very interesting piece of the Zohar. The Zohar spends considerable time on the sin that's known as wasting seed. Wasting. Seed. Zerah Levatala. A lot of time on it. A lot of time. Because it has big Kabbalistic ramifications, there's a whole thing on it. Anyway, one of the statements in the Zohar about this sin is that the lower tshuva doesn't help. You got to do the higher tshuva for that sin. Why? So, the Rebbe says... Because the sin, Kabbalistically, seed is linked to the brain. We talked about this way, way back in book one and chapter two, right in the beginning when we started this series of classes. How the seed is linked to the head, to the brain. 
So wasting the seed is indicative of a, a, a blemish to the brain, to the highest part, to the most elevated part of the human experience. The higher tshuva reaches there because it aligns every part of the human psyche with godliness. Only it has the capacity to reach the brain and to rewire it. So therefore, for that avera, the lower tshuva is not enough. Other averas, the lower tshuva is enough. It classifies you as a baal tshuva. You want to restore the relationship, you want to get to the highest level, do the higher tshuva. But for this particular one, you must engage in the higher tshuva. Because that's where the sin reached. And there's a number of statements in the Midrash and the Talmud that allude to this concept. One of them is in a Midrash called Tana Devei Eliyahu. It's a very fascinating work. It's all the teachings that were taught in Elijah the Prophet's academy. Eliyahu Hanavi, he had an academy and he taught uh, teachings. And they were recorded by later sages. And one of the teachings there says like this, if a person does a sin, Adam Shah Sa'avera, person violates God's will, what should he do to live? What's his solution? What can this man possibly do so that he may live? And he says, you should double the amount of your Torah study. If you were used to learning one chapter a day, learn two chapters a day. One page a day, you learn two pages a day. What kind of question is that? What should he do and live? The Torah says, if you do a sin, you do tshuva. The person did a sin, what should he do and live like it's a crisis? You just do tshuva. There's a process in the Torah for that. So the Alter Rebbe says, this Midrash is alluding to a very specific type of sin. A sin that the regular tshuva won't help for. A sin that reaches so deep into the human that, that the regular classical tshuva is not going to make it. So what should he do and live? What does this guy do so that he can achieve his tshuva? He has to do something which matches the place that he damaged. He damaged the brain, so he should use the brain for godly things, Torah study. Specifically, doubled Torah study. Alter gives the metaphor, if you have a rope that snaps physically, when you retie it, the place of the knot is going to be double layered. It's going to be thicker. It's going to have more, more knots. In the same way, the soul is compared to a rope. So when the rope snaps, when you retie it, it's got to be retied in, in double measure. So the Torah that you learn has to be doubled. You learn one page a day, two pages. One chapter, two chapters. And there's a third piece of Talmud that also supports it which al concludes the chapter with. There was a, if you read the, the prophets, you might be familiar with the story of Eli. Eli was the high priest way in the beginning of the Jewish history. He came into Israel, and he had two sons that unfortunately kind of went off the path. They were Kohanim, so they were very, very respectable positions, but they did their own thing. They played, they played games. So Hashem, through the prophet Samuel, cursed Eli's family. They're all going to die young and the whole thing. And then at the end, it says, Hashem swears that the sin of the house of Eli will never be forgiven with sacrifices. No amount of sacrifices can forgive, can atone for this sin. So the Talmud says, sacrifices don't forgive, but something else forgives. Torah study will, Torah study will atone. Double Torah study specifically. Torah study will atone. Again, same thing. What was the sin of Eli's sons? The Talmud tells us it was primarily in issues of immorality. So the same thing. The immorality touches the brain. The, re the repair for that is to use the brain 
for Torah study. There's another verse King Solomon also says that be'emet uh, avon, truth will atone for sin. What is truth? Truth is Torah. So all of these statements indicate the same concept, that sometimes you have to reach deeper than the regular classical tshuva and reach the higher level, the part that gets deepest in yourself so that you can achieve full atonement. And that's where he leaves it. So if you just learned the Tanya, the impression is that there's a lower tshuva and a higher tshuva. You gotta first do the lower tshuva in order to get to the higher tshuva. It's a ladder, it's a step ladder, you can't jump. And sometimes you must, higher tshuva is not an option, it's a must when we're talking about deeper, deeper sins. On the Rebbe's 25th wedding anniversary, Sorry, it was the year of his 25th wedding anniversary. It was, it was a half a year later, 1954, in the summertime, just before Rosh Hashanah, actually. It was his father-in-law's wedding anniversary. So he held the Fabrengen to celebrate his father-in-law's wedding anniversary and his own 25th. And uh, he spoke a lot about marriage. The Rebbe, that's when the Rebbe revealed many of the Chabad customs about weddings that you see today. Many came from that for bringing there because kind of went through a list of, uh, of Chabad customs for a wedding. So there was a talk that the Rebbe delivered on why we specifically use a ring under the chuppah. You could use anything. You could use money, anything of monetary value. Why, why, why a ring? So he went into a whole discussion and then he said the following. He said, this, is, this was classic Rebbe stuff. He said, until now, anybody that learned Hasidus got the impression that in order to live an enriched spiritual life, you have to first put away all of your material desires, all of your past, all of your mistakes. And he referenced the Tanya here. Kind of like Tanya says over here. You want to get the higher tshuva? You got to first get the lower tshuva out of there. But the Rebbe said, today, we live in an age where we can jump. Today, we live in an age where we don't necessarily need to do the stepladder climbing. It's possible for a Jew to reach a part of his soul that will allow him to jump straight for the moon. The other things, the Rebbe said, of course, we'll deal with them in time. We'll deal with them in time. But it's po- you, you, you don't tell me that you can't build your house because you haven't cleared everything out. Today is a generation, today is an age of jumping for the truth, catching it, and dealing with the rest later. And the Rebbe said, I want to tell this to everybody here, and I want it to be a, a message made specifically to the youth of our time. And this became a focus of his mission when he said that the shluchim, the emissaries all over the world, he would always tell them, you catch a Jew, bring him in. Don't make any uh, conditions or prerequisites. You got to do this before you can do that. You jump. Today is a generation of jumping. It's an age of jumping. We can reach the higher tshuva even without the lower tshuva. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Rebbe always said. He pushed very much for joy because the lower tshuva is a negative process. It, it involves regret. It involves... Today we go straight for joy. Today we go straight for higher and good spirits. Why? Because we have that power. We have that power because we're living in Mashiach's times. That's the real reason why. Mm-hmm because we're living closer to Mashiach, the closer we get to that age, when it's all going to be good, we can tap into that energy and uh, 
and really become good. So my, my blessing for the new year is that we should take the opportunity to make a little jump. Something you might not have expected of yourself even. You didn't think you could do it. I got to first put on tefillin every day before I can do this every day. No. Doesn't make a difference. A new resolution for the new year, that's a jump for all of us. L'chaim, l'chaim. See you all next year. Next year in Jerusalem. <laughs>